You're listening to episode 20 of In Film We Trust. I'm Wayne. I'm Liam. A weekly podcast where we discuss, dissect and deep dive all things film from the obscure to the mainstream. And now, on with the show. A lonely soldier stationed at a farmhouse, a speed-eating contestant trying harder than ever to beat his rivals, and a dedicated taxidermist who seeks to turn himself into the ultimate work of art. What do these three men have in common? They all feature in Georgi Palfi's most acclaimed cinematic venture, Taxidermia, a bizarre and often grotesque examination of the history of Hungary from World War II to the present day, full of heavy symbolism and visual metaphors that will mess with your mind as well as your stomach. At this point, Wayne, with our recent choices, I think we almost need an interpretive philosophy degree. At the very least, I want a doctorate of philosophy. Because this is an- we deserve that. This is another film that is very interpretive. Very interpretive. Very strange. We've got we're on this kind of strange movie kick as of late. What Tetsuo and now taxidermia. Mm-hmm. We're going to be institutionalised soon, Wayne. Surely, yes. And the people who made this maybe should be as well. Because Georgi Palfi? Georgi, Georgi Palfi, yes. That's that's the best we can manage pronunciation-wise, unfortunately. Do you know what, Wayne? Mm-hmm. Same age as us when he made this. 33 years 33 old. 33 years old. Yes. 2.4 mil budget. Mm-hmm. Did you ever think at this stage in your life, this age, you'd ever make a film like this? <laughs> I, de- well, I definitely did. This would be a stretch at any age. It would be. I yes. don't think little Georgi would have thought at 33 he'd be no, making no, this film. I don't imagine either. he would, but it was 2006 he released this, and he directed and co wrote it, didn't he? Uh, directed, co wrote? Yeah, who was the person he co wrote it with? Well, this film, it's, it's structured in three parts, essentially. You could almost say this is three short stories in one, three linked short stories. And the th- first two parts were adapted from a novel. I'm not even going to say the guy's name because okay. it's going to be a butchery. <laughs> I can understand. But his first name is Lajos. Right. We'll go with that, Wayne. We'll go with that. That's we'll go with we do, that. Yes. And it's billed as this whole film, these yep. three stories, as a surrealist comedy drama horror. It's a fair amount altogether. Do you think there's a lot of comedy in? No. What about the pecked penis? Well, that was, that was funny. <laughs> yes, that was funny. Only because of what we'll get to later. But yeah. That, yeah, kind of unintentional random bursts of laughter. But I don't think there's any jokes jokes in it, as you would say. Randomly, Hungary's official selection for the best foreign film at the Oscars. That would have been interesting. Imagine if, the Academy, imagine if the Academy gave the award to this. Have you ever noticed with the Oscars, for example, their foreign film um, category is often more interesting than the actual best film category? Do you? Because they're usually much more interesting films. Because maybe with the non-English markets, they're more open to more bizarre films like when Parasite won in 2019 I think that was seen as a breakthrough because that was first of all a non-English language fantastic film film. fantastic film yeah also it was a lot more interesting it had a much more complex it wasn't like an epic romantic drama you know one of those big crowd pleasers it did have some notoriety in Europe over here because it was nominated for the Uncertain Regard Hmm. category at the Cannes Film Festival yes which which the section for uh, says here unusual styles and non-traditional stories I'd very much agree with that assessment <laughs> I think you'd be a bit twisted if you didn't agree with that word absolutely yeah and it's it had a 2.4 million dollar budget yep but it made was much on, more back or no it was released in the US it was a very limited yep. release it was released for three months it played in two theatres and it made just over 11 grand 11 grand so that's I don't know if right but get... I'm assuming though that wouldn't be a wide release that would be probably arts house cinemas well, I did think how how could you 
mass market this imagine trying to market this to a mainstream audience it would be very difficult we should also say even though this is a hungarian film it's dealing with hungarian themes it was a co-production mm. between hungary france and several other countries yes it was which i think almost european cinema does quite well because because you're usually typically working with a lower budget you can't experiment a little more there's not as much to lose in a sense well, there's financially not, there's not as much pressure you could say it's more kind of going right. more auteur-driven yeah. kind of films, yes. Which I think is a huge benefit for European cinema over, yeah. you know, mainstream American cinema. It's certainly a benefit for us audiences because we get to see much more interesting films. If you want to see fake penises getting pecked <laughs> and, and literally bucket loads of vomit, I mean... It, this is the movie for you. If that's your fetish, you're in for one. Highonfilms.com called it, and I quote, a delicious film for those who can digest it. I'm not sure I would have chosen those particular words. They're pretty apt, Wayne. Digest. <laughs> I don't know about delicious, though. Delicious in what way? No, no, it's it's not it's not right. That's not the right word. I I had I watched an interview actually. Speaking of Palfi, I don't know about you. I'd never heard of him before. No. Nope. But I watched an interview he did for Freefall, which was a film he did in 2014, and he said he believes strongly in the visual elements of cinema. He likes showing things which are grotesque and absurd but also funny. Did you think, cinematography-wise, this had... It was almost reminiscent of a Terry Gilliam. It was hyper-real, but at the same time, its surrealist aspects made it almost borderline fantasy at the same time. It did. It did have a, like you say, a borderline fan fantastical quality. Yeah, like, what, like Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus yes. or something like that. Yeah, it did have that bizarre... It was like quality to it was it. taking reality, exploding reality to the minutiae, and then l there was an added layer of fantasy to it. Yeah, it's yeah. a exaggerated version yeah. of the world we live in, you could say. The film is essentially, when you watch it, it's a highly interpretive film, which we'll get to, but yeah. it's essentially, the best I could find, it's a metaphorical retelling of the history of Hungary. Well, we span World War Two, the Soviet era, and up to contemporary 2006, you say it was made? Yeah. So the, the contemporary times. Here's a question. How much did you know, or how much do you know about Hungarian history? I failed that. Uh, no, <laughs> nothing, nothing, Wayne. <laughs> Less than zero. Yeah, basically, thinking back to school, I don't remember doing anything on Hungary. So I think the thing with this film is if you didn't know anything about the history of the country, a lot of stuff in this film would go right over your head. Well, that's the interesting concept right there, Wayne. I think... Unless you're native Hungarian or mm -hmm. steeped in the history of Hungary, even for us, I think you're losing a lot in translation, so to speak. I think there is themes and topics that you're, you're going to get as a general human for humanity, but the mm -hmm. there's got to be little particulars you're not going to pick up on. Because yeah. I, I don't think we've picked up on everything, and I think we're pretty forthright in saying that, right? Definitely. Even when I was researching this film people who were watching it and researching it were saying, you know, this is not clear, I'm not sure about yeah. this. So even people who are really diving into it, really right. studying it closely, even they have trouble, like you say, picking up on the particulars. You can get the general overall gist, but yeah, the particulars are a bit harder to make out. Which takes us to the first story of three, where we're introduced to the main character of story one, Morris Gavani, who is a orderly during World War II for the Hungarian army. Yeah, who's stationed, by the looks of it, way out in the middle of nowhere. He's essentially stationed at a like a farmhouse. Extremely rural. He's got very mundane tasks that he has to do. 
Already we're set up. He's got a cleft palate. He's almost the subordinate, isn't he? He's yeah. demeaned. Yeah. He's the outcast. And But we're introduced to him in this funny way because he's holding a candle to his skin. He's burning himself. And he's getting off on this. This mm. is like his, almost like a fetish. Basically, like we said last week, Tetsuo, it was like a kind of metal fetish. Here, fire fetish. Would you even say it's a fire fetish? Or he's just got this weird thing for pain and pleasure. It, it wasn't only that because one of the words that comes up a lot in this first act, you could say, is warmth. Yep. And it's because he's out in the middle of nowhere, obviously freezing cold. He doesn't really get on with any, any other human beings. It's like this fire, for me, this was like a replacement from the warmth you would feel from like another human body. Do you think mm. that's what it's going for? Is he is he missing something? Is he repressed? Mm. And he's almost comforting himself with the warmth yeah. of the fire. Like it's missing because he, right. he basically kind of moves it all over his body, all over his mouth and all over other places, which we'll get to. And yeah, I, I see <laughs> it as kind of like a lack of human warmth because it's not like he's sitting around the fire and rubbing his hands. No, it's this like, is a candle. He's, he's literally moving it all over his body up to his, like, to the point where it would hurt. And we're also introduced to to the lieutenant. Charming fellow. Well, <laughs> he's very stern, Wayne. Awful, awful. He's dude, ordering yeah. Morris Gavani. He's giving him, telling him these orders. Pretty much what he's got to do. He's summing up what he's got to do. What's that? Shoveling shit. Mm. Getting the bath ready. Cleaning toilets. Out, Cleaning toilets. Like everything. Every mundane task he's, nobody he's wants to do. He's basically been given all the menial tasks. But of course, he's the lieutenant, so he's delegated them to this guy. This guy's very much under the lieutenant's boot. So Morris Gavani, would you say he's creepy, Wayne? He does have a thing about him, not just because he's, maybe it's because he's this devoid of human contact, but I'd say he's a very disturbed character. Not the only one in this film, it has to be said. <laughs> it's a very disturbing film. It's kind of a theme in this film, yeah. Also, I was having this little aside here. One of the first scenes we see him and he's taking a piss. I don't know about you, that gave me necromantic flashbacks. Do you ever Necroma- seen necromantic? I have not. That oh, sounds... It's, it's kind of like this film, it kind of makes you feel physically sick. There's is like, it repulsive? It's repulsive. Yeah, there's like two pissing scenes in the first 20 minutes, and I thought, well, this is a bad start. Well, Morskovan has got some weird traits, Wayne. We said he's got a little fire thing going. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's he doing with his penis, Wayne? Well, with flames. Well, he's kind of holding it up to... At one point, was he... This is going to sound strange. Ejaculating fire. Was he, or was he... It almost looked like he had a... A sparkler in his urethra? The thing I think we should say is this first act kind of takes place a lot of the time from his point of view. And because, like you say, this kind of Terry Gilliam, bizarre, twisted reality, we're not sure how much what we're seeing is actually really happening or it's just kind of how his disturbed mind has twisted it. And this could be one of these instances. You're saying it could be funneled through his interpretation, his imagination, Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily the literal... No, this, like, this is literally what he's fan- he's fantasizing about having fire coming out the end of his bell end, is what I'm saying here. <laughs> Don't lot- be too blunt, Wayne. There's a lot of things here I never thought I'd ever say in any situation. But- oh, it's going to get worse. Yes, basically, yeah. And the lieutenant insulting him and mistreating him. We said earlier, this film is kind of a metaphorical examination of basically Hungary's history over yep. the last... 700 right. years, will you say? Did you feel in a way the lieutenant being horrible to him was somehow metaphorical of how Hungary was treated during the war? Because again, I don't know how it was. I can't give you that answer, Wayne, because just as you said, you don't know how it was. How was Hungary treated during the war? I've, I've no idea. I, I mean, I didn't do that much research on it. I know it was the like the Austrian, uh, the Austro Hungarian yeah. Empire, yeah. which collapsed, I think, after the war. But again, because this film is so interpretive. There's bits here I'm interpreting and I don't even know if I'm supposed to. Maybe he's just a bad lieutenant and he's treating the orderly badly. Good film. Bad lieutenant. (laughs) (laughs) 
on another note. But he works at this, let me say, he works at this farm He's an orderly, yeah. He's an orderly, works at this farmyard. And there's a scene where he runs a bath for these two women. And in this scene, there's a lot of close-ups, like body parts. When they're in the bath as well, there's a lot of close-ups of flesh and body parts. Flesh, yes. Yeah. Again, is this through his eyes? Is this his obsession? Well, I think, do you think he's missing this? He's missing Mm. the flesh. He's missing that tactile nature. And he's gone into this fantasy world of make-believe, of interpretation in in a sense. That's what I'm thinking. This is all his fantasy because he is so starved of human, positive human contact. Yeah, he's just imagining everything he's just you know everything he can try and get he's just picturing it in his sick mind would you say the lieutenant makes it worse with the monologue he goes on yeah okay right <laughs> okay so this this monologue here so by the lot, lieutenant not more of them. this is a lieutenant right, okay there's gonna be a, some vulgar language here so i apologize in advance more than usual but at one point the lieutenant he says for what does a man's dick stand erect and it cuts okay, to, and, and it cuts to shots of women bathing and thinking well what do you think it stands erect for? But this is almost, at this point, the women are treated in this very first act, they're very much treated as objects, almost as animals. Mm-hmm. That even comes up later on. And the lieutenant says at one point, he says, is there anything better than the cunt of a woman? And I think it's very important that it's that word that's used as opposed to any other right. word. Because he goes, at one point he does say, he says, oh, maybe it's a pussy, et cetera, et cetera. But he says, the cunt is the common denominator. What makes the world go around. What makes the world go around, yes. And I think he's looking at it in terms of how female genitalia has maybe been romanticised and has been described in these beautiful terms. For him, it's just about fucking. That's it. Right. Which, there was a a nice little analogy I looked at when you say, in such blunt words you said, Wayne, I will not repeat. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But the next scene after that, or one of the next scenes after this thing, there's a scene of a bath. Yes. And it's very water-like. You could almost link it to the birth canal, right? Mm -hmm. This is an interpretation. And we go, we revolve around this bath and we see almost like a small, a mini history take place. Birth, life, death, in a sense. So you could say, okay, is the analogy between the bath and the female genitalia. And you can draw this analogy and you could say, well, everything happens through the woman. Mm -hmm. Birth, Birth and canal death, life, etc. And there's an analogy you can draw, because in the, this little segment of the revolving bath, you see a, a baby in it, people bathing, you see the carcass of a pig, you're seeing the full human experience through this, and I think that's the duality between the female genitalia speech you just mentioned, Wayne, mm-hmm. and the bath as uh, an analogy for the birthing canal, possibly. Yeah, I was looking at it as because it's the bath is kind of like a vertical plane, right? And it's spinning round and round, and we're witnessing all these things. For but me, not literally. Kind of, that's an interpretive. Yeah, interpretive. Yeah, it's like the kind of cyclical nature of life and the passing <laughs> right. of generations. Because, like you say, there's someone dying, and then there's someone giving birth, and then there's you know, somebody growing up yes. and bathing. So yes, I think it very much is much like a kind of generation. Yeah, this cyclical pattern, like you say, all revolving around the female genitalia. Yes. Or the word from the speech will I want, which I will not mention again. Say it, Wayne. Say it. <laughs> no, definitely not. No, I don't. And it leads to one of we mentioned this mentioned this earlier. Quite a funny part where this soldier, Morskovani, uh, Morskovani, he's peeping through basically a spy hole. Oh no, Wayne. Uh, are we bit, just getting more depraved now? We are because right. he's constantly watching these two women. Well, we should and, say. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but everything in this film. For the entire film is revolved about almost, and this may be a misinterpretation, but to me, superficial ugliness. Hmm. People are very overweight. They're superficially unattractive. But these two women who Morskovani is watching, our central character in this first story Mm -hmm. of the film, 
you could say they're attractive, yeah. two attractive women, and he's fixated on them, whether they look like that really or or if it's his own uh, mental interpretation, because they're you could almost say they're the only attractive to uh, people, not just women, people in the entire film. It's a very, very good point, actually. Yeah, that's a good point about superficial ugliness, yeah. It kind of leads on to, there's a pig on this farm, right. and it's the soldier, Morsegovi, he's kind of stroking and fondling the pig, and he says, don't worry about your figure, just grow nice and fat for me. Yeah, so which... It's like, so it's like only these women, only the women have to be idealised and perfect. It doesn't Wayne. matter. It doesn't matter about the pig. Hmm? Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Right, yes. so sorry to cut yeah. you off. I was just adding yes. that little aside. So, what were you going yeah. to say? So he's looking through this, basically a spy hole at these women. In, in his little orderly yeah, shack. He's in this horrible little cold shack. Hence the reason for the candle. And he essentially turns, I've written, he's turned the spy hole into a glory hole. <laughs> oh man, this is a scene. You know, there's so much obscenity in this film, especially the first act. This is possibly the most obscene. He Vaseline's that hole up. Yeah, he like, K, like Vaseline KYs the hole. And then. You well, know too much about this way. <laughs> well, he does what you do to a glory hole. I was doing. Is that first hand so, experience? Wayne? No, definitely not. Right. But this man is desperate for any kind of physical gratification. But what's funny about it. He's watching these two beautiful. Yeah, he's watching these women yep. frolicking outside, you could say. And uh, yeah, he's got this dick through the hole and it gets pecked by a hen, which is great because it means I got to write down his pecker gets pecked. <laughs> okay. Is there symbolism in that scene? I, if there's symbolism in that, it's lost on me, Wayne. Possibly. Was that just dark comedy? I've is, been waiting my whole life to write a sentence like that. His pecker was pecked. His pecker gets pecked, yeah. And that's what leads on after that. That's when he's talking to the pig. But yeah, I feel this man is so starved for any kind of physical contact. Well, do you think he was glad he got pecked? Well, I don't know. He doesn't <laughs> Is that seem what you're like trying it. To say? Maybe he liked it more later on, but at this point, like I say, he's so desperate for attention, he'll do basically anything. In fact, he even goes back to candle fiddling after this. Candle fiddling, henpeck, but not the most disturbing because he opens a pop-up book of uh, Hans Christian Andersen, The Little Match Girl. Yeah, it gets worse, folks. Which leads into a weird dream sequence. I'll be honest, I love that transition when it goes from basically the camera panning into and the... And it goes real sur surrealistic. Yeah, that looks fantastic it when, look it, when it panned into it because it has yeah, a pop-up book and it turns into like a real world, almost like... Tim Burton-esque, wasn't it? Yeah, almost. very that Tim, kind of very very Tim Burton -esque, yeah. And he's talking to this Little, little Match Girl. girl. Yeah. I, I don't know the story, Little Match Girl. No. But uh, he's essentially yeah, transported into this book and he's talking to the girl, kind of warming her hands up. And then, quite predatory, would you say? Quite predatory, yes. Because, or very. Because at this point, we've been led to believe this guy is a creep. So we're very uncomfortable in this scene, you could say, having him with this little girl. And then, <laughs> okay. oh my God, do I even want to say this? Well, You'll have to say it, Wayne. Well, hey, Wayne, your choice, your deal. <laughs> my movie, I guess I have to say it, yeah. But he's lying on the bed and it essentially cuts from him being with this girl, warming to his hands him, up. To be him being solo, he's not with the girl now. No, no, now he's on, the, on, his, uh, on his own in this little shack, masturbating, <sighs> and then he ejaculates and it goes through a hole in the sky, uh, sorry, through a hole in the shed's roof becomes into the, the sky, stars, and it becomes the stars. I don't know what to make of that, do you? I think I do, Wayne. Oh, yes. I think it's an analogy for the birth of the story, because ah. soon soon we witness the birth of his son. Mm. And there is a quote I've got, which kind of links into what we're just talking about, mm -hmm. by the director. He said, all of our protagonists long for something. Yeah. The whole of their lives. They have these great ambitions. The first character's desire, which is the one we're talking about now, is love. So he's the sperm. <laughs> the next one longs for success, which we'll get to, is eating. So he's the saliva. And the third one wishes for immortality. So he's the blood. 
Wow. So I think, as you say, he sperms into <laughs> into the stars. Yeah. So I'm I'm assuming this is an analogy for the birth of a nation, the birth of humanity, the birth of the story. Yeah. I can only wonder. I mean, I have no yeah. idea. It seems right. apt. If you want to go back, he's like birthing the universe or something like yes. that. Yes. But it's Oh no. Is Molagavani God, Wayne? Yes, yes, yes. Oh God. I hope I really hope not. Let's hope not. <laughs> no, but not long after this, we have a scene of the officers drinking and celebrating. Butchering pigs. Yeah, and he's stuck outside. I feel like, again, he's very much the outcast here. Because people are celebrating and they're kind of cutting him out. Yeah. So he's kind of forced to be on his own all of the time. But then he's in his little shack. And the woman from the farmhouse comes over. Is she the owner of the farm? Well, I read something. Is the, to put it bluntly, the obese woman? Yes. The, the middle-aged obese woman. Yeah. I read some interpretation that, that she is the strict lieutenant's wife. Yeah, it's it's made out that she's the wife, but again, a lot of this is not made clear because I had no idea. Okay, so let's sum it up. She's in the bath. Yes. He's in his shack. The bath's in his shack. He goes to make love to her, I suppose, Wayne. Mm-hmm. Not the exact words I'd choose, but yes, I can... On the slaughtered carcass of the pig. Yes. So <laughs> we can draw some parallels there, I suppose. Because she, she demands to be scratched by him. And yeah, I, what was that? I don't know if scratch meant a totally different thing, because he immediately st- he basically just gets right on top of her. She's lying in the bath. You've got the slaughtered pig carcass there. He also We also get some interpretations, because sometimes she transmorphs into them two girls he was watching out yeah, the shack. As we see them, the kind of shoulders moving past each other. Yeah, it transforms the faces of the two women. This seems just like a fantasy. Quite an explicit scene, Wayne. Very explicit scene. Yes. Well, this the whole first act has been very explicit so far. So he's uh, making love to her. Um, next morning, she's not there. No. Uh, but so what turns out, Wayne? But he is lying flat, like on this thing with his trousers the pulled bathtub. down. So again, did we imagine this or did we not? Because the lieutenant comes to his shack and he, you know, salutes and he's shouting, you know, "Hello, lieutenant!" Yep. And the lieutenant shoots him in the back of the head, kills him off. Well, that's what you get for fucking pigs, Wayne. <laughs> fucking pig carcasses again yes because we're in his frame of mind did this actually happen or did it not but because of what happens afterwards we're led to believe this actually did happen because it does set us on to the next story which is quite bizarre it is bizarre i mean it is worth pointing out that every single act or story in this movie is bizarre in its own way but i'd say this next act somewhat harder to watch than the first one you think see Mm. i thought the first one was the more transgressive one you what? What's it about this upcoming act? Well, like, I'll say now. it's kind of stomach churning. You know, I mentioned necromantic earlier, like yes. that. That kind of oh my god! I because when I was watching this film, I didn't actually feel very good watching it. A bad head, a sore stomach. But when I rewatched it, it's like this part of the film was making me feel sick again. So let's set up set up for us well, when this essentially, how it starts. This is during the Cold War because this is we've shifted to the next. Yeah, first act was World War Two. Now we're at the kind of Soviet era Hungary because because yeah. after the World War Two, Hungary became part of the Soviet it's kind of like a satellite yes. state of the USSR yeah. yes and it's like we say this film a lot of it is kind of vague but here they talk about the Soviets you right. see the red stars yep. they talk about communism it's right. obvious what time period we're in now we're introduced by Lieutenant Kalman who was actually the lieutenant there's a row of babies in a tub. Hmm. This is the baby. Is it possibly uh, Morris Gavani's? It's kept vague, I think. But again, because of what we've seen earlier, it's suggested that it is. But the little Gavani's. baby has actually got a tail. It's got a tail, yeah. On its head? 
it's, it, no, it looked like it was on his head. No, no, no. I thought it, it was his head first time around. Yeah. I don't know what, what you're... Uh, in this film, would, how you, could you would, mix that, up would, the that, would that surprise you if it was actually on well, his head? Well, no. But no. But the, uh, the lieutenant essentially chops the... Chops the tail off, Chops yeah. the tail off, yes. And this leads us into... Speedy thing. Into speed eating. And then we have a, a Kalam, I believe is his name. Kalman. He's a Kalman. He's a speed eater for, for Hungary. And they're competing against... Well, he's got a few teammates with him, right. but they're also competing against the Soviets. Like I say, it takes place in Eastern Europe. They talk about Soviets. You see the red stars there. It's less ambiguous. It's, I think, a bit clearer about where we are time-wise. And there's this kind of challenge between the now the grown Kalman, who was the baby who got his tail cut off, and mm-hmm. it's a guy called Bella. Is it Bella? Bella. Bella. Bella, Bella, think, yeah. Bella, Bella Lugosi. Like, like Bella Lugosi, yeah. yeah that's the only, the only way I know how to spell his, uh, and I, his name. I think he loses to Bella in this speed eating. I think he does, But yes. in the stands of this speed, speed eating contest is Axel. Uh, is it Axel? Uh, somebody, uh, Jizzy, I've got written now, because she's like Gisela. Yeah, who is the female speed eating she's champion. She's also a speed eating champion, And yeah. obviously there's a speed eating. They're very, you could say, physically unattractive. They mm. are very obese. This is the unattractiveness we're talking this about. This is almost, you could say, an analogy for greed yeah. and consumption. Definitely. Gluttony. Gluttony. Gluttony as well. Also, is there any way to make speed lo- uh, speed eating look like an attractive thing? I don't think so, Because at this point, the idea is they're trying to increase the prominence of speed eating because they want to get it approved for the Olympics. Yes, the IOC, was it? The IOC, yeah. Did you think there was an, an analogy here? You know there's a lot of uh, pig imagery in this film. Yes. And when they're speed eating, the confines of where they're doing this is very almost factory-like. Yeah. Shit in, shit out. Yeah, shit in, shit out. It's almost like a giant pigsty, basically. Yeah, because they're eating almost like an, as in a trough. Yes. They After each round, they throw up into another trough. Mm-hmm. There is this analogy with yeah. a, a pig and what a pig conjures up, which is that, you know, pure gluttony. They'll eat a human practically. Yeah, I, I also get the feeling this place probably smells something like a pigsty. <laughs> I'd assume so, Wayne. I don't I, think it's pretty. I'm surprised they don't all have peg, pegs on the noses. Maybe they're just used to it. For me, what this was going to, because we're talking Soviet Union here, this huge consumption, this gluttony, for me, I was thinking of it as kind of almost like a metaphor for just all the crap, all the bullshit that people were fed by the you know high and mighty corrupt leaders back in the day. Like the cult of personalities you got with the big Soviet leaders. I don't know... I- there's a duality here. Is that what you took away from it? The the, the kind of the overindulgence of the communist yeah, party. That's one thing. thing I took away from it. Yes. Because there's a flip side. You could say, okay, does that? Re- but does it also represent the antithesis of the Soviets? Because what's the Soviets about is about collectivism. Yeah, that's the other one I was thinking of. Yeah. Right, and you could almost say, is this an expression of individuality or the or the Western idea? Because. Mm. They're partaking in something what is purely consumer-based. It's consumption-based, so it's the complete antithesis of collectivism. Yeah, because I was thinking like the collectivization, like you know when they brought all farms rationing, there would be rationing. I said all feeding the communist machine, but like I say, yeah, because it's supposed to rally against because consumerism is regarded as being like a capitalist trait. Or is this like a pressure valve release? Is this is this a release for the Soviets who are so restricted in their way of living, their their rationings, etc., that they're letting them set they're taken away by this idea of consumption because it's their, their pressure release. Yeah. Also, because our hero is Hungarian and they're competing against the Soviets. So it's almost like kind of infighting because, of course, they were all basically right. one nation at the time. But as we said, there's that woman. You got her as Jizzy? Jizzy, yeah. I think it's Gisela. Do Hungarians have their forename first? I think they do. Or it's their, like, their, their always, surname, sorry. It always seemed to be flipped around, yes. 
So I'd, I'd had it written down as Jazelle. What did you have it written down as? Azel. Azel. Okay, we'll go. We'll go with. We'll go with Azel. Yeah. Oh, is that easier to say? It's easier to say. Yeah. I think so, that's probably her surname. That's yeah, what it is. But no, like you say, Azel is a speed eating champion in her own right, and she does seem to have her eyes on uh, on Carmen as he's as he's going about his uh, speed eat, uh, speed well, eating well, duties. Well, Carmen does say our protagonist of Act Two. This woman is going to be my wife. Mm. He wasn't lying there, Wayne. No, he wasn't. Although although Bella is trying his best to screw that right up, his teammate who wins. Has, he yeah. wins this competition. He actually wins, and uh, Calam- uh, Carmen gets pretty much scolded for it, does he not? Because the coach seems like he has particular focus on Carmen, like he wants Carmen to be the one that wins. Yeah, and there's this minutiae of speed eating. They have, like, is it the cross swallow? There's all these techniques of how to eat as fast as you can, as much as you can. Yeah, basically just get all these things stuffed in. Again, it comes up actually in the third act about these things, but yeah, right now it's just who can stuff the most in. I and mean, they end up vomiting afterwards, which is horrible. They even, they even spray the stuff in the mouth and one says it's to, like, lubricate the throat or what, something. Is that so food goes down easier? Yeah, something like that. It looked like kind of whipped cream that they were spraying in. But at this first eating contest, Wayne, what happens to Kalman? He suffers lockjaw. He gets lockjaw because oh. his, his spoon is actually stuck in his mouth. Okay, yeah. here's one. <laughs> After he has lockjaw, mm-hmm. he collapses, right? After he collapses, he's in a hospital in Cuba. Yes. And he's all sewn up. What the hell kind of lockjaw is that? I've no idea. I thought at first it was like a heart attack. <laughs> well, no, it's, I thought lockjaw was uh, another name for tetanus. But I'm guessing in this situation, it's just because of the the strains of having to constantly eat food. Even though a lot of it was just like soup, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Each um, each course was a different meal. Yeah, but but yeah, like I say, things he ends up in hospital, and uh, they have the, this idealized because they say Cuba's a paradise. What well, communist paradise? Yeah, fruit on the trees, etc. Mm-hmm. Even at one point, they're even like waxing lyrical about how at one point they were in Cuba. Oh, remember we did this in Cuba. Remember we did this in basically these other communist states. So, but as he's in the hospital, Azelle meets him, mm-hmm. the woman in red, as we said, the female speed eating champion. There's a weird scene because he has two aides with him checking yes. up on him. She leans over, hairy armpit, a bit of sweat drips off her arm, yeah. goes onto his face, mm-hmm. and he licks it. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's not I, normal, Wayne. I kind of shuddered there. I'm like, oh, that's a horrible little moment. Is he just kind of absorbing it? Or is he just trying to get anything he can from it? Because he in such adora- he has such adoration for her. What would you do? You find in this film, there's almost a fetishization of the grotesque, of yeah. the ugliness. This movie kind of revels in its grotesqueness. Do you think it could be one note though? Do you think it's too um, ugly? I think yeah. Watching it again, I think some scenes are almost too grotesque for their own good. It's like once they've made the point after that, the scene kind of loses you because like, right, I get what you're saying here, but like yeah, some of it does go on a bit too. Well, long, do you I feel think. it's like okay, we get the point? Greed, consumption, ugliness. Yep, yes. we've got that. Don't need to see this anymore. I'd say it's especially repetitive in this act, right? Because I think this is actually the long. I think this might be the longest act of the film, and it did feel like it was kind of made. Making the same points over and over again, I thought. But you know what, Wayne? Carmen, mm. when he was a speedy and said he was going to marry that woman, Azelle, as we're calling her at the moment. Yeah. Do you know what, Wayne? Hmm? There is a wedding scene next. There is a wedding scene Which next. is a bit bizarre, because uh, we, we set it up that Carmen's kind of nemesis here on the same team is Bela. Bela, yeah. And he's dancing with Azelle. Yes. The bride of Carmen. They weirdly run away outside the dance hall took a lot of convincing he's like we should run off together and they do run okay out. and they they watch together for a while outside and at this point i imagine carmen's pretty distressed that his wife has just his new bride has just run off but they make him sing a song while, that's a bizarre song while bella and uh Azel are outside and what are they doing against that wall they're making love against that wall 
<laughs> I think we always use that term a bit too generously. Oh, no, so this is about the nicest sex we actually have in the film, I think. But she's, while they're making love, Wayne, she's watching through the window. Yeah. And she's longingly looking at Carmen, who mm-hmm. is there on a table, supposed to be, I suppose, toasting his bride, his wife-to-be. Yes. Well, she's getting pummeled by Baylor. Getting pummeled by Baylor. But then, at the end, it's, it's almost like they just move that to the side, because we have Carmen going to... Uh, they do get married, we yeah, should they, say. They, they do get, yeah, they do get married, yes. Baylor or not. And it's got, what I was going to say is, Carmen, he's been pressured more by his coach at this point. It's is like this the co- when the training factor? Yeah, it's yeah. like the coach is just trying to train him specifically. It's like he's just focusing on him. And Carmen, it seems like he's feeling the pressure. He's getting tired of pe- uh, hearing people talk about Baylor. It almost feels like the coach is like the leader of the country and this guy is just, you know, the regular individuals who are just like, it's like they're expected to carry their nation. Well, what would you, you would say is the coach in this aspect he's almost trying to legitimate legitimize the sport of speedy yeah he wants it, it approved. he wants it olympic approved by the ioc and there's a lot of mention of norway i'm not sure why Wayne. I, I don't know was it a rival at the time maybe? i have again because we don't know any of this history it's yes exactly a, a, a lot of this i'm like why are we mentioning norway but they have these pretensions that okay we will legitimize this sport Speed Eaton will become the pride of Hungary, so to speak. Yeah, and you will be the pride of Hungary as a result. And Carmen specifically will be the pride of Hungary once this sport becomes an Olympic sport. Because I suppose then, what what, what decade would you say? 60s, 70s? Six, uh, it looks like 60s. You know, I was going by looking at like cars and TVs. Yeah. Very old, so I'd say 60s. So I'm imagining then, speed eating, this gorging on food is very niche, wherever. It's not like now where we have... You know, there's this mass consumption of mm. food, and we you see speedy in on TV all the time. Yeah. So, as you said, we're in this factory. Yeah. The coach is chastising him. He's saying, "You can be this. You can be that. You can be the pride of the nation, so mm. to speak." And there's this speech about throat expansion. Is he saying Bella's had throat expansion? That's why he can eat so much more. He's had this surgery. Essentially, yeah, so he can actually swallow a lot more. But then again, it's not just the throat, it's the stomach as well. But I think he's trying to convince him, because you've had this, you should be able to eat a lot more than anybody else. Like It's like, there's no excuse for you to fail. And I think there's this diatribe by Kalman where he's saying, as a kid... He was told he could eat whatever he wanted in this specific factory, Mm. but he could only eat what was there. He couldn't take any in his pockets. And Mm. he realized that this was his forte in life. This Mm. was his way to impress a girl. People could climb rope and people could sing. Mm -hmm. He couldn't do those things. Mm -hmm. So gorging himself and mass consuming all these products was his little niche, this way of impressing the girls. It's kind of sad that this is the one thing that he is good at, but it's brought him to where he is now. Well, he actually says, that's when I got the first buzz, this trembling excitement, Mm. this feeling that your capacity is bigger than you, Mm. which is important because this is very, as we're saying, superficial. This is very much of the body. It's not of the mind. Yeah, exactly. So this capacity is greater than what he is himself. Again, is that like people encouraging the you know the, the people of your country you know try and be better than you are every single line of this movie you're thinking what is the implications of this it almost gets exhausting at times as you find or is it an ultimate is it a diatribe about individualism could you say is this his way of rebelling in a sense of a uniformed culture because that's essentially what this is because like we say collectivization but he wants to be an individual doing it for himself he wants well literally he physically stands out from the rest he does but the thing is he is going to be as we find out going to be a father soon because we have a kind of weird shot from inside a womb inside a womb when they're walking down the hall (laughs) yeah it zooms out and it's 
we presume it's Carmen's baby, but she's been with Bella earlier. You know, it's both stories have kind of... Conflicted fathers. Yeah, conflicted parentage, yes. It's like, is this the, actually the father? I guess we're kind of led to believe because it's a generational film. Yeah. But then again, we have no idea. I'm guessing they didn't check. Do you, do you have a interpretation of who the father of Carmen is now? Is it Lieutenant or was it Malagavoni? Gavani. But there would have to be like a decent amount of time because I didn't even realise the lieutenant was married to the woman until yep. I read it later yep. on. So I've no idea, was she pregnant then or did it come about then? Because it would have been months before it was born, she uh, before the baby was born. This scene you're on about with the CGI, the CGI'd baby in womb. Doesn't look too bad. Because they're going to see the doctor. Yes. And the doctor, there's this weird little conversation where he says she'll be transferred to the vegetable wholesale. Yeah, it, where, she, where she is not the champion. Because she's the meat cannon. The can, like the can factory champion, yes. So I suppose in Soviet Russia, well, workers would be collectivized to the factory. So they're linked in with the factory they work in. Is that what it's going for? I suppose I suppose she represents the canned factory. Yeah. She became the champion for it. Does that mean eating certain kinds of food or just taking part in certain competitions? So what, is the meat canning industry, meat canning pack, too unhealthy for a pregnant woman, which is why she's been moved to vegetable wholesale? Yeah, she wants to be moved to vegetable wholesale, doesn't she? I'm guessing she tries to get out of it getting out of transfer maybe because of a star power or something like that yeah. but she's basically being told where she needs to but, go but she doesn't because they bribe him yes exactly they bribe yep. him so she can stay where she is and, do you think uh, that's a comment on the bureaucracy of the Soviets corrupt. how they're not impenetrable to corruption corruption yeah yeah exactly everyone's susceptible to it at, at one level or another but uh, it works out and this leads us on to they get invited onto a boat with a basically a powerful. Is this the deal. leisure scenes, Wayne? This is the leisure scenes. They're yes. going on the pedlos. They're yeah. romantically on the boardwalk, and they're invited onto this. Would you say it's a communist party boat? Like a communist boat, yes. A lot of this, the leisure stuff, filmed very unflatteringly. We see them trying to get on like pool floats and stuff, and it's yeah, filmed from these very again, like you say, the kind of superficial ugliness of life, like just what we are looking at. So these people who invite them onto the boat, mm -hmm. they want a quick demonstration. Mm -hmm. 45 kilograms of red caviar in 20 minutes in honour of the 20th anniversary of the liberation. Mm -hmm. But what are they eating the caviar out of? A giant red star. Red star. Again, how much more on the nose could you get? Is this film just the constant duality of the ideals of communism versus the reality, possibly? I think that's what it could be. Again, I just can keep thinking, just eating this up, being fed this rubbish, and then just eating it up constantly. And essentially, they've just been brought in here. You wouldn't think eating 45 kilograms of red caviar would be healthy for a pregnant woman, would you? No. I'm, ass I'm assuming not. People lift 45 kilograms to, as a workout. Yeah, exactly. They don't fucking eat it. That's a lot of stuff. And it, she feels bad afterwards. Um, Azella, like she says she's sweating and it's not that. She's never felt like that before. And then Kalam says, Kalman says this. I thought this was funny. He went, oh, no, we'll stop doing this. Health is more important. When really? Do you, when do you think he's ever considered that in his speed eating career, we'll say? It's clearly not that important. No, it's but, not something with registers, because he actually starts eating extra. He yeah, eats the she, extra. Because, yeah, because they could go right back to doing it. So it's like almost like they're slaves, the slaves to the system. What they want is not important. Did you find it was interesting, though, that it's caviar they're eating? Yeah. Very upper class. Very kind of very, upscale food, yes. Very bourgeoisie way. Yeah, because what, what they've had before, it's like soup, and then at one point it looked like just just like coagulated meat. It looked but now awful. it's caviar. Now it's fancy so the, caviar. So the communist dignitaries are indulgent in caviar. Mm -hmm, treat them because obviously they're good representations of their of their nation. Because yep. this the guy does give a speech on uh, communism and he's honouring them. And uh, Azel passes out in her own food. Why did they give them a meal after all of that? 
I have no idea. That why. seems utterly unnecessary. Surely they'd be full by now. But yeah, she passes out in the food, and that's hey, hey, it's a it's a, a benefitory pass out because she wakes up with a baby. Mm, she does. She, <laughs> she does. Well, well <coughs> how long was she asleep for? I have no idea when, but she wakes <laughs> up with a baby. That's that's some uh, that's yeah. some loss of consciousness. Yeah, that's with a baby. But again, we're not really sure who the father is. But that pretty much wraps up the end of. What I guess what we could call Act Two. Going into Act Three, you know, I think this has one of the weirdest segues. Is this the bird shitting way? It's a bird shitting segue. Shitting shit out. That's what it's about. Exactly, because there's a zoom in, and then you see it almost looks like you're looking at an insect under a microscope. But then this thing opens up, something comes out, and a bird flies away. I'm like, oh, that was a bird shitting segue. That's have, a beautiful segue, Wayne. <laughs> I have to say, I've never seen that hey, before. It's original, Wayne. <laughs> I've just written WTF in my notes. WTF. <laughs> The, uh, your whole notes would be made up of WTF. Exactly. It? I'll say there was a lot in this film that I'd never ever seen before, for better and for worse. Okay, so in story three, arc three, however you want to interpret this, this is Lajoska? Lajoska. Lajoska. Lajoska, Who is Carmen and Azel's son. Presumably Carmen's Pres- son, Presumably, yes. yes. Yeah, and he is a taxidermist. He's now grown. Yes. He's a full adult, and we're in contemporary times now. Mm-hmm. I want to say a full adult, because he's, he's a very gaunt and pale individual. That's... The very antithesis of... Clearly a very deliberate casting choice there. Cause he's this, almost emaciated looking. Because this actor's actually German. I think his highest profile movie was, uh, I think it was Enemy at the Gates that he was, was in. Was he in Enemy at the Gates? Yeah. Uh, his role something like, I think it's Stealing Photographer. So not like he had a big role. No. But that's probably his most high profile film, yeah. But he's the very opposite of his son. Uh, so his he has this taxidermy shop. Yes. He's working on a bear. A bear, yes. He's working, he's working on all kinds bear. of things in the shop. And he's very, uh, clearly a very dedicated individual and very good at what he does. It's very different from his dad because we do see his dad in this act and he's huge. This is Carmen you're on Carmen, about. Carmen, yeah. Carmen is essentially... The 45 kilogram caviar eaten. Yes. But now he's a middle-aged man. Yes. And he's... he has gone from morbidly obese to morbidly, 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 morbidly <laughs> obese. Morbidly times 10, yeah, because he's... He can't even leave his own apartment now. He's stuck no. in his apartment. The son has to put like a bedpan underneath him. He lives with these cats, which he... Is it lard he's feeding to the cats? He's feeding... Uh, well, what we should say is, Lajoska, he goes supermarket shopping. He does. And he does his shopping for his father. And it's a lot of butter, lard, he's mm-hmm. buying to feed these cats. Have you ever noticed at the supermarket, he's almost trying to flirt with a cashier? He is, doing and, very badly at it. And though. the cashier is very not interested. She says absolutely nothing to him except how much the food yep. costs. Yeah, every single time. Because he says, at one point, the best he manages is, he says, what time do you finish? Yeah. But she completely disregards him. Would you disregard him? I think it would. Yes, I think I would. I think he's deliberately made to look kind of creepy. Creepy. He kind of has, he's very thin, he's very pale, he's got almost kind of greasy skin. He's got that very, what would you say, that hawkish, predatory, animalistic, very thin. It's what they were going for with Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. By making him very thin, almost like a coyote, he comes out at night, he's a predator on the prowl. And I think similar, this is the similar aspect. Also because he's very much a counterpoint to his father, who is so so obese he can't even leave his own home, but yeah, this guy's very small. It's almost like, in a way, because we're in modern day now, I thought, in a way, it's like he's just shed all of the shit that they've been fed over the years, and that's now why he's so thin, because he's kind of completely his own person now. But as you said, um, this lard is for the cats. Mm-hmm. And these cats in Carmen's uh, house are behind a cage. Yes. Okay, is he feeding these cats? Are they performative cats? Are they supposed to be speedy, speedy I think so. Cats? He wants them to be fat like him because what we found out about Carmen uh, here, he's very stuck in the past. He's clinging to his old glory days. He's got boxes and boxes of these like chocolate bars or whatever yeah. it is. Uh, and he watches like new speeding on TV and he hates it. Right. 
Uh, he's constantly raging at it. So clearly, even though those old days weren't great for him, it's like he's still nostalgic for them. But, Wayne, you say he's watching Speed Eating on TV. On mm. that TV is his former wife, I'm presuming former wife, Azale, mm. who is now Team USA's coach. Yeah, because she ran off. So how does this fit into your narrative? If you're saying the analogy we're supposed to draw is the consumption, the greed, the corruption possibly of the Soviet Union. Well, now in contemporary times, it's the USA who are the top teams of the speed eating. So is there a comment there? That's not just incidental, accidental, I don't think. Would you say it's has American greed replaced mm. the Soviet greed, or has the American greed always yeah. been? Or is it trying to say that now American greed, like you say, has overtaken? So even though it's a totally different yeah. ideology and political system, it's also very flawed and can lead to these kind of scenarios. Maybe it's just a comment that humanity is fucked, and that's why, ev- <laughs> and that's why literally everything in this film is ugly. It's so hideous. Well, especially if speed eating becomes an actual Olympic sport, then we really are fucked. Because I don't think Kalman is impressed by his son Lejoski, is he? No, he hates because he says, "I can't even look at you." Yeah, he deeply resents his son. Yeah, there's it- these little snide remarks. Is it because he's so thin? Do you think? Because he didn't follow in his footsteps, maybe. Yeah, again, that's what I took from it. Again, he's lamenting the state of the sport. He's angry at his son, maybe for not following him. He belittles his occupation, I'm pretty sure, even though it seems to be a steady job that he's very good at. And they have a pretty big falling out while the father's stuffing these weird chocolate bars into his mouth. Yep. And here's a weird bit. The father calls the son a cyst, which he kind of whispers. I don't know how the he son He refers to it. that later, earlier on yeah, in the film. There was someone earlier on. I didn't even write it down earlier on, but yeah, he called him a cyst. So was he called a cyst straight to his face earlier on? He must have been, or it wouldn't have set off this reaction, surely. Well, I think, right, you know how we were on about, there's that CGI scene of the the baby, yes. the, the fetus, when Carmen and Azel are going to the doctors, and their bribery was, well, the doctor said, do you want it to be a cyst, or do you want it to be classed as something else? That's what it was, yeah. And this is the diss to him, you're nothing but a cyst, because that's what they bribed. It wasn't a pregnancy, it was classed as a cyst at the time, mm. and that's his little dig at his son. So basically... The father still thinks the son is not even worth being born. Yeah, you're well, a cyst. You're not even a yeah. bit. You're not even a child. You're yeah, not even a it's man. not even worth. It's just another way of saying I you're wish nothing. You, I wish you weren't even born. Yeah. yeah. And the father cries out at one point because he's still trying to make out that you know he's top dog, and he shouts out, "I had a vomiting technique named after me." Terrific. Yeah, not much of a boast. I can't imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine he'll go down the history books about that. Do you know what he also calls his son? Mm. A carcass stuffer. He does well. I guess that's well, that's, he, that's, that's he's just, following the look, family look, tradition yeah, here. Exactly. That's just a synonym for a taxidermist. But yes, yeah, he's just honouring his grandfather, I guess you could say. But we do see weird scenes because back in the taxidermy shop, Lajoska, there's this mysterious man who comes in. He's wanting something taxidermied. It's not really implied. He says, is it domestic? Is it wild? It's domestic. Mm-hmm. It's a bag. We never see in the bag just now, do we? No, no, no. That's very, very important, which has been kept for later. But yeah, he just kind of holds it and has a look at it. Doesn't say much here, domestic or wild. And yeah, and then he just goes about his duties. Also, this is where Lahoska takes up gymming. Yeah, why does he take the gym? What is it? Is he trying to bulk up now? Is he well, trying to? What's weird is he was working out. He actually did look quite muscly there. Also, this that's because he's so skinny. Yeah. Also, this is the only time we see him do this because yeah. the, the guy says to him, "Don't overdo it." Okay, you can stop now, but he keeps going. He's doing like um, is it like a like butterfly? Yep. Like butterfly workout. Yeah. And he just he just keeps telling him to stop, and the camera zooms in, and he won't stop. No, he won't stop. More consumption, Wayne. Because mm-hmm. at this point, he's obviously fallen out with his dad. The dad's I guess kicked him out. 
or you know said he never wants to see yeah. him again. But crucially, when he left, but he leaves this, knowing it'll kill his father. Yeah, exactly. Because the cats, we should say, are in like a cage yep. at one end of the room, and the cage door was left open when he leaves. Mm-hmm. Yep. And when he goes back to his dad's flat, dad he finds the dad dead, and there's like a big hole in his side when his intestines are out. So we can conclude he was killed by the cats. Well, you see the cats are actually eating his intestines in the kitchen because there's a trail going towards the kitchen. Yeah, they're essentially eating his dead body, which I read cats would do that. If you died in your house and the cats were trapped in with you, they would pretty soon actually eat your dead body within weeks. Confirms my opinion that cats are nothing more than little savage bastards. <laughs> You're cats, better off with a dog. Yeah, cats are evil, can confirm. Yeah, yep. but, he's been, but he's been killed by he's been killed by the cats and he taxidermies his own father and he taxidermies the cats. That would have been a weird experience, taxiderming your own father, even though he hated him. No, he's stuffing his dad. <laughs> he's cutting his... He's cut, uh, here's the thing, right? He, he taxidermies his dad in his yes. studio. There's all these close-ups of innards and such. Mm-hmm. Okay, there's a quote from the director. It's a, it, he says, In taxidermia, the question was precisely this. What is beauty? Is the body ugly on the inside? which a director says, no, it's beautiful. It's a whole universe of flesh and blood. Well, so is it the outwardly ugliness we're supposed to see? And Well, this is what we're mostly exposed to in the film, isn't it? Because well, the superficial ugliness. The film is constantly focusing on ugly, how ugly humans are from the outside. But yeah, it's not like it says much bad about the inside of us. No. But, but this is the act that explores it most deeply because obviously the idea with the taxidermist is to go inside the body. But not only is he stuffing his dad, mm-hmm. he's got himself in a, a contraption. Which looks like a machine from one of the Saw films. Okay, so he's in this contraption. We're, we're on about Lajoska now. Yeah. He's sewed up. We saw a scene previously, as we mentioned, where it's all like innards. It's like very, uh, like a medical examination. Yes. Of the inside of the human anatomy. So is he been shifting his own body parts? I think so. It's like you know how uh, if your kidneys don't work, they they'll like route your blood into a dialysis machine. It's like he's routed his whole body and organs into this machine, which will keep him alive while he's doing this procedure, which is essentially because what happens when? Well, he's essentially taxiderming himself because he's filling himself with presumably formaldehyde to, yep, to yep, preserve deserve, his body, yeah. and he puts himself in this machine, and a blade came up to his neck. I'm like. It's not, is it? Yeah. And yeah, and the blade chops his head off. He's, uh, he's essentially beheaded his own self. Yeah, he has. And uh, an arm comes off as well. Well, yes. That, that'll, that'll be pertinent in the second way. It will, yes. Yeah. So he takes off his arm and he takes off his head. head. So what he's doing is essentially he's turning himself into a work of art because we go to an art gallery. Right. So we're in an art gallery, gallery yeah. next. Everybody's dressed in white. It's very... Sterile looking. Clinical looking, yeah. The man, There's a man making a speech who is the mystery man. And we should say when this guy, uh, when Lajoska beheaded himself, his own self, the mystery man came in to pick up his taxidermy, which was a keychain of a inside a little fetus. Yeah. So I'm assuming maybe there was a stillborn baby or something or a miscarriage. Yeah, or something like that. And he's decided to get it preserved. It's like, yeah, like a little... Keychain. Like, like a little glass kind of ball thing, yeah, like you'd have on your keychain. On a keychain. And he discovers Kalman taxidermied. Mm-hmm. He he discovers the decapitated Lajoska. So now we're obviously in this art gallery. It is an art gallery, isn't it? It looks like an art gallery, yes. We see the fetus in the keychain, obviously, and the man's given a speech on what he witnessed. To which, a... is, which is being translated because there's a woman directly translating as he's talking into English. Which there is at the start of the film. Yeah, because it's like, a, it's like the voiceover, kind of this little voiceover bookends the film. 
And we, in this art gallery, what is one of the installations? It is Kalman placed like a piece of art. His obese body is being stuffed, as we saw Lajoska doing, mm-hmm. and he's being displayed as a piece of art now. With the cats on him. Yeah, with, with the, the cats, cats, yes. The cats sitting on the blubber But we cats. also see... We also see Lajoska, who is kind of posed almost like the statue of David, of course, missing yeah. with Sans' head and one arm. Very much like a Greek-Roman-esque statue. Yeah, and he's got obviously like train tracks right down the front of him where he's, where he's cut his own torso yep. open. And we're hearing this talk about art and future generations and the camera zooms in on, into into his belly button we end on his belly button <laughs> it's like a na- it's like a naval transition yeah it end, rolls into his belly button and then the credits roll okay the naval scene Wayne because yeah. that's the end there's a term in art and it's called navel gazing which I've means self in- self-indulgence ah. so is this a comment on self-indulgence mm. possibly is, is he he's basically self-indulged he's indulged himself yeah but that's what I'm saying yes because that's what he wanted to do he wanted to He's now preserved himself for future generations, so everybody can look at him now. He's not going to be there to enjoy it. Because you could make the argument that everybody in this, in this film is only indulging in, in their own desires. Essentially, yes. So is the navel shot, uh, in a sense, navel-gazing, which is literally a comment on self-indulgence? I'm yeah. going to say it again. <laughs> I, think it could be, I, I wasn't even sure. I, I think they were just looking for a cool way to end the film, to be honest. So, what? okay, this last scene... They're stuff, they're pieces of art. Now, what is your interpretation? What does that mean to you? I think definitely with Kalman, it's he's there as a relic of the past. Of like I a, got maybe, that as well. Like, yeah, yeah like, like a kind of bygone era. And maybe with Lahoska, it's this is what the future is going to be, maybe. Right. The sort of passing the torch from one generation to the right. other, but still having them together, united in this museum. Or is it a, a commentary on, on the past? And no matter how hideous the past was, the it almost gets to this point where it's fetishized. It's indulged as nostalgia. So no matter how much bad the past is, it becomes something that is more than later on. Yeah. It's almost like those people who constantly bang about on about the good old days. Or they'll the bang on about, you know, how civilised people were or how people banded together during World War Two. And, you, I mean, talking about hundreds of thousands of people dying a day. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Well, we had a teacher at school, she used to call it the bad old days. Yes. But yeah, but people talking about how years ago, there's still a nostalgia for it, even though so many things were bad but maybe only one or two things were better. So yeah, I think that's what's that's what's happened here. They're being preserved for all time, but the representatives like a bygone They're era. almost now nostalgic. Yeah, they are nostalgic pieces themselves. They are pieces of nostalgic art. Because there is almost this there is also this alternative theory to this film, mm-hmm. what we'll get into. It's called The Seven Deadly Sins, yes. somebody's pointed out. I never came up with this and and it's pretty much going by the first act of this film. When we're following the soldier, Morris Gavani, he's representative of lust and sloth. So act two, Kalman, he's displaying gluttony, which is the speed eating, but also greed, the medals, the recognition, and Gizi, or Azel as we called her. Mm-hmm. And envy, he's envy of his fellow competitor, Bella. And then the third act, which would be the seventh, is Lehoska which represents wrath against his own father. Mm-hmm. But then also pride as well. Pride. The, the father's pride, the father's misplaced pride. Yeah. The fact that he is so proud of himself for this past that was just not good, but he is nostalgic for it because that was a time when he was a hero, not just a fat piece of crap stuck at home. Maybe they're just saying the the warped sense of nostalgia everybody holds to yeah. bygone eras when there was never great to start with. Or, or is it also like inheriting the sins of the father? Because like you say, it's getting passed down through the generations as well. 
It's one of those very thinky films. It is very much, yeah. It's very symbolism and very metaphor heavy. I don't know about you. Did you find, because of how interpreted it was, often it wasn't that entertaining? Uh, did you find the film itself, as we said, and go to that word again, was it a commentary on self-indulgence? But by commenting on self-indulgence, mm. it almost is self-indulgent itself. You've tried to comment on self-indulgence by making a self-indulgent film. Maybe that in itself is purposeful. That, possibly, but yes, for me at times it did feel like that. Again, it's a representation of the history of Hungary and the seven deadly sins. But I think if you didn't get Hungarian history, I think you'll miss a yeah. lot of what it was trying to say. Do you find this film philosophically is very much indebted to miserableism? Mm. The character, it, it's all about being miserable. It's all about the, the ugliness of life. It's about misery. It's about ugliness. It's about suffering. The grotesquities, all these yeah. kind of things. Yeah, there's a lot of, it's almost like misery porn, you could say. Do you think it um, warrants its status as a a very good art film? It's fame or it's infamy. Yeah, it's look. It's certainly unique. Very I'll, unique. I'll definitely say that. I think there are definitely. I'd say there are probably better films out there that maybe try and represent the ugliness of life. But yeah, like I said, sitting down watching it, it's just not that enjoyable a film. Really, I think it goes too far in a lot of ways. It tries to revel too much in the. And it by itself becomes self-indulgent. In a sense, yeah. It gets to a stage where it feels like they're just kind of constantly rolling on, even though they maybe should kind of stop at this When point. I was watching this film, I was thinking, this film is termed an art film. I think that's pretty I think known. So. Here's a little question for you. At what stage does something become art versus exploitation? It's a very, what, is the di- what is the line there? It's a very difficult line to draw. Is it, if you have something interesting to say about it, then it's art. If you're just, if it's just ugly for ugliness sake then it's just exploitation you can you can draw parallels or notions to anything though exactly even the silliest piece of art yeah things you can make the dumbest thing the most ridiculous thing but if you just say you know this is representative of this it's symbolic it's metaphorical you just don't understand it that annoys me when someone just makes rubbish and tries to paint tries to pass it off as deeply philosophical and highly profound oh yeah the bad acting in all them films was intentional it was a comment on the bad acting yes exactly not this film the acting's actually good no, no, the acting is very good in this but film. But this film, it uh, comes under the umbrella term of body horror, doesn't it? Yes, definitely, yeah. This is the kind of thing that Cronenberg would have done. I don't think he would have went no, as I don't far think as he would have done. Oh, it's, I don't even think it's gone as far. I just think for as weird as Cronenberg can get or as mainstream as can get, there's almost there's a lot of depth to Cronenberg. Yes. And I think this film, I, I like this film. Uh, uh, am I a fan? Fan's maybe too strong of a word. For you can it's too like, strong a word as well. Right, yeah. so... To me, this film was a bit one note. It does put us in a very interesting position because we've gone through a lot of metaphors, a lot of symbolism, but we're sitting here thinking, would we say, go and watch it? Do you think it's a great film, to put it bluntly? I don't think I'd say a great film. No, I wouldn't either. I'd say it's a very well-made film. It's a visually fascinating film, but I'm not sure I would say it was a great film. Is that purely because you didn't enjoy it or you think it was a bit one note? Yeah, I think it was one. It's not that I didn't enjoy it. I mean, I don't mind films that are kind of shocking and yeah, yeah, it's definitely and, uh, to do with the shocking yeah, graphic. If there's you know if there's if there's a good point to it, I think there was a good point to it. I think it was just again too heavy on the on the disgusting imagery. Um, to talk about shocking, it's maybe not as shocking, but you know what, Wayne? In a weird way, hmm? I actually preferred the Human Centipede. Oh yeah, I did. Oh, maybe yeah. It's almost a kind of a more streamlined movie, right. you could say. I think I like the first half of Human Centipede yeah, yeah. more than the second. It's almost before 
the centipede is made is where I like yeah. the film the most. Sounds weird to be recommending Human Centipede though. So where are we going? Are you recommending? It would be a very hesitant recommendation if I was going to give one. I think this is about the first time where we've not come to like a, yeah. a kind of clear conclusion. Well, here. the weird thing is that what what makes things difficult is you don't want to not recommend something because no. something might appeal to somebody, and it doesn't. It's not unwarranted. This film. I mean, there's a lot. Well, some to like about it. But it does indulge itself, as I said, in miserabilism a bit too much. And, it, a, and it can become a miserable experience, even sense, though yeah. there's a black comedy aspect to in it. In a sense, it's a film, I'd say, you more admire than you yeah. enjoy. You admire what they try to do. You just think maybe they went too far for you. Just not really your kind of thing yeah. is what I would say. So I think if you're going to watch this film, I wouldn't say don't watch it. But I'd mm. say be prepared because it's a yeah. tough sit. But, you know, you'll find something. Even if you hate it, at least you'll have an experience. Yes. Oh, that's that's the best way you can sum it, really, is it's... It's an experience. It's not a film that both of us were particularly enamoured with, but watching it is definitely, for better or worse, an experience. Well, there you go. You've been listening to episode 20 of In Film We Trust. Once again, I'm Liam. I'm Wayne. Join us next week, where we discuss, dissect, and deep dive all things film, from the obscure to the mainstream. <laughs>